Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Vents. This is Fed Weekly. A collaboration between Vice and Brent 2020, London Borough of Culture. get a cracking. Amelia. Kamaya. Vent Daily. Every day this week, we're talking about family. Today, I've invited on a special guest, the co-host, my good friend Kamaya. Hi, I'm queer and I want to have children when I'm older. There's a possibility that I'm not going to be able to have them the way that most heterosexual couples do, like have sex with their partner. So I want to learn more ways about how I can have kids and how do other queer people have kids. So to help us answer our questions, we've also invited the fellow journalist and host of Pride and Joy podcast, Freddie McConnell, to talk about how queer people have kids. So do you want to just introduce yourself? Hey, yeah, sure. I'm Freddie. Um, yeah, I'm a journalist. I worked at The Guardian for about six years and then went freelance and yeah, made this podcast for the BBC. Um, yeah, the tagline is like a podcast about how queers have kids. So <laughs> hopefully <laughs> I can help. <laughs> so what kind of stuff did you write about at The Guardian? Actually, I mostly worked in the video department, um, okay, cool. although I did join originally as a trainee, which was really cool that it was just this one year where they had a trainee scheme. And I think the idea was to carry on with the scheme after that, but they didn't. So it was just this one year of like 10 young people who didn't have any formal journalism training yeah having the opportunity to do that training in-house so yeah that's it so first of all you're a dad mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about that i'm a single dad by choice so it's pretty full-on <laughs> <laughs> and me and my kid we live on the coast uh in a little house uh very lucky you've got lots of family nearby mm-hmm. um so i guess it's not stereotypical single parent situation in that i do have a lot of help and lots of friends and so yeah, I've been lucky that it hasn't been lonely. Like the hard part for me was becoming a dad, which yeah. as a trans man, I chose to go down the route of pregnancy and carrying myself, which for years I didn't think I was able to do because I've been told by doctors that testosterone makes trans people infertile, mm. which is not true. And so, yeah, there was tons of hurdles to overcome. But um, now that it's a reality, I absolutely love it. And mm. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm lucky on that front. Sorry, why did you choose to be a single dad? Yeah, I was actually going to ask that. Sure. Like, my mom's a single parent mm-hmm. and most of her complaints is that it's hard to be a single parent and like we should be lucky. So it's like, why would you choose to take that? That's a big journey by yourself. I mean, it's very specific to the circumstances, I think, of being a, someone like me who transitioned and was told what I was told because I guess about two years into transition with T, testosterone, I discovered through YouTube that there was pregnant trans men out there. And yeah. so then I was like, oh, I guess maybe I'm not infertile, but I still thought maybe that I would become for infertile over time because mm. at that point, you know, I had no real official information about it. So how long were you on um, testosterone before you were thinking of like having a pregnancy? 
about two years and then oh, wow. and then I spent like another year making up my mind about it um but and and part of the reason I did choose to start a family to start a family when I did even though I was by myself was because of this fear of becoming infertile so mm-hmm. that's not to say that I mean like I think actually it's worked out really well but it does worry me that there are younger trans men out there who aren't in a position. I was 30 at the time. So I sort of, my career was underway um, and I had this opportunity to buy a house in my hometown and that kind of thing. But I think there are lots of younger trans men uh, and non-binary people who feel this pressure to have kids younger than they would otherwise because of the misinformation they're given about their health and their transition. And then I actually did have um, potential co-parents who are also queer that I was talking to about starting a family with. And for one reason or another, like it just didn't work out. Um, I had quite a, like I'm someone who kind of like gets a goal in mind and just kind of goes after it like a bullet. And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard for people to join me in that process, I guess, which I'll, so yeah, I'm I'm just a super independent um, sort of self-sufficient person. Mm -hmm. So for me, the idea of single parenthood and I'm kind of pretty aromantic and, you know, like I've never been a super kind of partnered person I suppose so it just suits me but it's totally personal I think up to now all I've been told is that you should be looking for like a two-parent household exactly like that's the ideal so for you to go out and like purposely choose this like life Mm. that is been said like that's the the wrong way or like Mm -hmm. it's the hardest choice you could do it's kind of like well at the same time I'm choosing the hardest way to be myself so this is in comparison to the hard choice I've already gone undertaken it's like you already have that sort of nature that's already you so it's like that Mm. that is the right solution mm. it does fit you know your life really exactly yeah no because you really broke norms like being a pregnant trans man anyway so it's like choosing to yeah. be a single parent doesn't really seem so like <laughs> whoa anyway really so. yeah and that first trigger for that was this sense of like well if i don't do it now maybe i'll just lose the ability mm. so uh, in a sense it wasn't really a uh, like a fully independent choice but at the same time it did suit me and like now i'm i have lots of friends down where i live who are partnered and like most well actually all straight cis people and I sometimes thank my lucky stars that I'm not having to like also deal with another adult as well as my kid yeah. in this situation I'm just like you know I can deal I can make my own decisions and yeah again I mean I have a good position where I have lots of support so if I was like a solo like isolated single parent I'd probably be having a very different experience but actually yeah. in the podcast we interviewed a person called Nicole who became a single parent like not in a planned way but they always had this idea that they would have a kind of big network of co-parents right. so I think even if you don't choose to become a single parent like the idea that you need to be in a couple it is a, it's a really heteronormative yeah. idea mm-hmm. I would say like don't let it cloud your own instincts and mm-hmm. what you feel like me right, might be right for you who, who did you talk to during like making your decision i uh, mostly my mum <laughs> <laughs> who's very you know strong independent woman and mm. her and my stepdad are kind of around for us quite a bit but they also live abroad some of the time so it's not like we live with them and kind of you know they, they don't replace that co-parent thing but yeah, mostly my mom and my friends. I was living in London at the time. Mm. And then on I like a lot of Facebook groups. That's where I think a lot of the information is available actually for mm. queer people wanting to start families or needing to talk to someone about how they feel. Like, yeah. For me it was all online really. When it when it came to like my specific 
queer experience. Yeah. I couldn't find that reflected in real life. I don't know about, do you guys feel like you have real life friendship groups that could do that for you or? Oh, I don't know, to be honest. I feel like everyone is, because the majority of people I know are straight and I do have like some gay friends, but I don't, sometimes I feel like I don't know how to help them as much. Obviously, like I'm very supportive of all people. I don't discriminate or anything like that. I just see everyone as who they are, like irrespective of their sexuality or gender. But um, like sometimes I feel like as a straight person, I don't know what I can offer you like intimately in terms of like meeting your specific needs um, advice wise. So I find it tricky to be like, as supportive as I want to be for my friends in the way that I'd want to, like, just because I don't live that life. Like, I don't understand the things that they would be going through. And it makes me feel sad sometimes because I'm like, I wish I could help you more, like, be on your level of, like, thinking. But I don't know, Cam, what about you? I think that right now, like, I'm 21. I don't think any of my friends, like, well, none of my friends who are gay are, like, having children. Mm. But I do see, like, a difference in my friends who are straight, who, like, already have children early on. Mm. And... Obviously, like, both parties obviously having sex, but one can and one can't. Right. Um, but I feel like later on, I definitely will. And, but personally, like, in my life, I feel my mum, she's a social worker. So she'll have people that are gay or single parents, especially she's working from home now, that are, you know, adopted kids or whatever. And it's more than, oh, they're, like, gay. It's more like, can they match the emotional needs of the child? Mm -hmm. So I feel like once that's secure, I think it doesn't really matter as long as the child's well-being is good and they're safe i don't for me it's like it's interesting to see this new world evolve yeah there's just so much research out there nowadays thankfully showing that kids of queer parents have equal if not better outcomes in terms of mental health and sense of self yeah. and feeling secure and all those sorts of things so that's what i'm focused on all the time and yeah it, so far like i've never felt that my kid is lacking anything mm -hmm. and maybe he will feel like that when he goes to school and <laughs> you know when, yeah like you say when he starts to see the ideas that are presented in the outside world and he starts to think well where are we uh, mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. I, that does upset me that idea that that might happen probably almost certainly will happen there's nothing to say that you can't have that conversation and that like obviously you then you just understand because it's mm -hmm. normal and mm -hmm. I mean my I had a nuclear family growing up and it certainly was not particularly happy or stable exactly. or, you know so yeah the reverse can also be true <laughs> obviously your process for like pregnancy must have been so interesting I'm really interested like interested in hearing about like how that started so where did you first go to begin your process I guess the first thing I did was speak to a doctor an endocrinologist so like a hormone doctor so it was I was in relation to my transition and you know this is kind of trans healthcare. yeah I was lucky to have an endocrinologist who didn't like fall over when I said, oh, I might try to carry a child myself. Mm -hmm. Although I had had a negative experience with another doctor who wasn't an endocrinologist who sort of, yeah, it was like, oh, oh I don't know, I've never heard of that happening before, blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> which is just not true because like there's hundreds of trans men that have babies. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, this this one um, guy was supportive and very matter of fact and he was just like, right, so you need to stop your shots, wait like six months until your cycle returns and at that point you can try to conceive in whatever way suits you and just like let me know when you conceive and it's quite chill there's going to be nothing harmful about testosterone or the testosterone you've taken in the past you know as long as it clears your system then you're all good and you might have other you know trans men sometimes have 
pre-existing fertility issues like any Mm -hmm. person could so that would be maybe the only reason that you might struggle but other than that like it should be fairly straightforward and for me it was so I went to a fertility clinic in London I was tracking my like ovulation and cycle at home which is hard and baffling and just like not an experience I would wish on anyone but the clinic were really welcoming I mean clinics are like businesses so I sort of feel Mm. like they're going to welcome anyone that has the mm. money to pay for treatments. Do you feel like for, in terms of like um, trans healthcare and stuff and like clinics who kind of specialise in this sort of thing, like was that hard for you to find or was it pretty accessible to you? I didn't go to any kind of special clinic. I just went to <laughs> the one, we were looking at different clinics and this one happened to have like a discount on their, um, <laughs> like, uh, what do you call it? Introductory appointment. Yeah. So you're like, okay, let's try that one. And they were like, well reviewed. <laughs> so I rang them up and, uh, oh, actually, I think I sent them an email. It's like, this is me. This is my situation. Is that cool? And they were like, yep, that's totally fine. I wasn't the first trans man they'd treated. Depending on what kind of person you are, you might find the whole experience quite intimidating and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So you might just Ooh. struggle to like be in that kind of space. But yeah. I was with my friend and I just kind of treated it like a kind of weird adventure. And the clinic were really respectful, never misgendered me. I had uh, insemination, which is just like quite a simple process. It works mm-hmm. second time. And then being pregnant was really, really, really hard. <laughs> <laughs> but But like the actual technical side of it was fairly straightforward and yeah yeah, like there was a booklet in the waiting room that was co-produced by Stonewall that was like yeah different different experiences of queer families and Mm -hmm. I actually like took it home because I was like this is so cool I've never (laughs) seen anything like this before (laughs) there were other copies there but I still have it it's such a wonderful (laughs) thing to have and I want to show it to my kid when he's a bit older so yeah it it felt it felt like a pretty safe welcoming environment I would say this is like so uplifting to hear because (laughs) no particularly like given like the social climate we're living in now and like you hear about just the general like abuse against people of the LGBTQ community like it's just so like nice to hear that you going to a clinic in a very heteronormative country, like, you mm. know, with people with that mindset that you still felt as though you were just like, welcomed in. And I feel like the ease of it and the way you, like, the way you found it, there wasn't mm-hmm. this long task because yeah. like in our borough for years, there hasn't been like an LGBTQ plus um, like health centre for us to go to. So you have to go like mm-hmm. all the way to like city, like central. And like really it's for me, it's it's been like something I've been trying to think about to do something about because why should people have to go so far out of their own like see especially mm-hmm. if they're like a kid or something and they're worrying about something especially being like lgbtq still families and cultures don't like appreciate it or accept mm-hmm. it so it's like to, to hear mm-hmm. that the journey was easy to like just search up on the internet to just find to just email them you know just the ease of that mm-hmm. is just really nice to hear yeah i mean two things um i'll quickly say to caveat that is like i think I, i'm not sure i would have the same experience now yeah. i think even in three years the the hostility in the media towards the trans community in particular has probably has has been so extreme that um it might be different now like which is really sad to think but and also yeah, like the has, increased yeah. visibility of trans men who have babies like mm. you know partly my fault with making seahorse a documentary made about my experience I think maybe now I would be clocked 
as a trans man trying to conceive and that might be more uncomfortable so that's one thing but also I'd also want to like fully acknowledge mm. my like white male privilege in that space because I think it's very easy for me to get taken seriously and for me to like speak in my authoritative voice and yeah not get questioned so I do think that played quite a large mm. role and I'm not I don't want to sit here and say it's going to be straightforward for everyone I feel like you also touched on the fact that you did find your pregnancy like a little bit difficult do you want to like talk a little bit more about that? So what part of it like was difficult? Was it just carrying that was hard or? I mean, I felt ill uh, and, and I realised that there's lots of things about pregnancy that you don't mm. know about until you've gone through it. And that's all, yeah. that was all like a big revelation for me because it is an experience that obviously 99.9% of the time women are going through, there's so much about it that's still not talked about and that kind of surprises you. And so I was like mm. quite frustrated by that. So yeah, I was physically uncomfortable, but what I was struggling with was dysphoria and not being on testosterone. And I think mm -hmm. I had a really negative experience on that front, but I do want to say that most people I was in touch with online in groups where we were supporting each other, like other trans men and non-binary people going through this, like not everyone struggled in the same way I did and certainly not to the same extent. I think I was on the like extreme end of the scale and perhaps that's to do mm -hmm. with my, you know, I'm used to just sort of living in the world as a very kind of masculine man. And I just yeah. um, felt very uncomfortable with everything that was going on. And so, yeah, it was like a lack of testosterone and a, and a dysphoria thing rather than the pregnancy. Like if I could have been, I always yeah. think to myself, if I could have been on tea and pregnant, it would have been great. Because <laughs> I loved <laughs> the feeling of this thing growing inside me. It felt very much like I was... Um, kind of already a parent like in this protector mm. role there there are, mm, there are yeah. things about it that are very empowering and like in a way stereotypically masculine and but that just shows how much of a bullshit idea masculinity is like right because <laughs> yeah. i don't want to say it's a masculine thing like it's just it's just a human thing mm -hmm. and it's just a like yeah. very powerful thing so feeling kicks and that kind of thing it was like it grounded me it reminded me why i was putting myself through this yeah but i struggled really hard and i lent so hard on my mum. so i think that would have been a harder time to be alone really than actually like yeah. being a parent ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I absolutely had zero education about different ways that queer people could have kids. I spent far too many hours trying to work out who I was and what I wanted. I had barely any sex education at school, like at all. All of the sex education that I did have was about like heterosexual sex and not getting pregnant and wearing a condom and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's really important that more LGBT issues are spoke of within schools. You make a podcast on BBC Sound called Pride and Joy about how queer people can have kids. I think the more information you have and the more you're willing to listen and to go out there and willing to search for it, is the more your mind's going to be open to what's out there, not so like closed-minded and judgmental, which I think your podcast really helps with because you talk with people that are going through the process as well. 
or look at the process, which is like for somebody who doesn't want to be as vocal or can't find those resources to hear that, like someone else is going through this or this is mm-hmm. how they're feeling, this is their experience. Like you said, you couldn't find that for yourself. So to put that out there because there's a need, I feel is like really important. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a selfless thing to do. Is that why you did it mainly just to kind of give visibility to those and allow people to like speak about the ways they wanted to have children or the struggles that they've had in terms of like beginning a family and stuff? Yeah. To, to sort of maybe give people a sense of community or, or just a sense that they're not alone yeah in this process because she's mm. like I had so many questions and would have benefited from hearing some of those conversations myself and obviously there's just a lack of information full stop yeah. but it can feel there's this extra pressure to be perfect and to not have doubts and you know I've definitely heard trans men talk about really horrible anxieties about sort of dreaming of giving birth to kids you know, who are sort of don't even look human, you know, because of all these like internalized transphobic ideas about how we exactly. shouldn't be doing this and how it's wrong, mm. blah, blah. So like, I just think it can be doubly hard for us yeah. to ask questions and admit that we're not sure or, um, yeah, express fears and doubts. So I didn't want to just tell happy stories either. We needed to like reflect the true spectrum of what it what it can be like, um, exactly. but, but give this sense of like, Matt you're not alone like um, mm. no matter what you're doing so I feel like for the future obviously we've got to like think about how we're going to normalise like alternative family planning especially mm. for the LGBTQ mm. community do you have any other ways because obviously like we've mentioned a few ways like just more um, as obviously social media is like a for me and for a lot of people it's like our first point of point of call for a lot of information that the media doesn't cover and that the curriculum does not provide Mm. i think for one my main thing is like the curriculum needs to be really inclusive of all types of life because i feel like i left school not knowing anything about real life i don't know what methods you think we need to take freddie like to increase visibility for this kind of subject matter i mean I have no faith in the idea that, um, like, the Tory government is going to improve the situation (laughs) anytime soon, right? Like, uh, it doesn't sound like it's changed much since I was at school. I left school in 2005. I I guess I'm optimistic, though, about the fact that we have social media and we have such active and visible queer community these days. And I know that we're educating ourselves on this. So I'm, I'm, like, really confident that any information that, queer people do want to access it will be out there what worries me is that people don't realize it's out there and they don't know how to look for it sort of thing so like you know there's a a whole array of secret groups on facebook for trans and non-binary people trying to start families the only way you might find those is if you um, stumble across one through a friend or like there's this thing that we've set up where someone where there's kind of a a facebook account that's called mix seahorse like mx seahorse and if you friend mix seahorse you can they will then like help you join those groups but that's like a totally community created sort of workaround for how hard this information is to access i mean i wish doctors would stop telling us that testosterone makes us infertile and that Mm -hmm. the only um option we have is to freeze our eggs which is expensive and hardly ever works so like really basic stuff like that but then beyond that i think we just need to rely on our own community do you feel like the onus is really on just queer people and Um, trans people to really educate everyone because I feel like even that's something I've struggled with like given the whole um, Black Lives Matter movement and obviously that's something that's quite personal to me one of the issues that I've had is that I don't feel like it's my responsibility to educate people on the issues that are happening in society do you Mm -hmm. get frustrated with the fact that you feel as though it's your community who has to like constantly be telling people obviously I get it from one perspective because they don't live 
that life. Mm. So perhaps it is important that people from that community give a re- like a realistic perspective on what's going on. But does it get tiresome to you, like having to constantly tell people, like, no, this is not what it's like, mm. or no, you won't be infertile if you're on testosterone and mm. like women kind of things. Like, what do you think about that? The thing that frustrates me is this active misinformation that the NHS is still putting out there. Mm-hmm. If if they were like just not saying anything, I think that would almost feel like progress. <laughs> but then again, like my perspective as a journalist, is kind of tricky because I relish the opportunity to talk about this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, sure, if I'm like going to the coffee shop with my kid and he's having a tantrum, like don't come and ask me about transfertility at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I'm really proud of the efforts that are being made by our community. I mean, especially in America, I have to say like, that's where a lot of this stuff is coming from at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people like Tristan Reese, mm-hmm. who's on Instagram, who's just worked with um, a nonprofit called Family Equality. I think it is, you know, like, bringing out the world's first sort of formal fertility guidelines and, and information for, oh, for wow. trans and queer people. So yeah, I don't think every individual should have to educate people. And I think individuals should, they could never do it if they didn't want to. It's totally not their responsibility. But where there are people who whose job this is to do that, mm-hmm. like we're doing really fantastic, exciting stuff. So I find that really encouraging. I just want to thank you both for coming on and thank you so much Freddie for giving like all your insight and the tea to everything like you're very welcome thank you for listening to me waffle (laughs) far too long (laughs) no it was really good it was really informative and I learned so much about a point of view that I don't live in Mm. do you know what I mean which I feel like since being in lockdown I feel like it's really important so thank you for that that's great you know if people ever do want to DM me on Instagram uh, even if you feel like it's a little silly question or whatever Mm. I am there for that like you know so there's at least one person who you can get in touch with So, Cam, how do you find that conversation? Did you find it, like, helpful in terms of, like, knowing your options as someone who is queer and would want to have kids? Or how do you feel? I found it really informative just on the basis of what's actually out there and what people's experiences are. Yeah. Because unless you watch, like, there's a baby documentary on Netflix or, like, the one, like, two queer little TV programmes that are out there Mm -hmm. that are, like, documentaries, you don't really hear about these stories. And I think they're important because there's so many more ways of having children Mm -hmm. that are accessible to people that weren't before. And it was nice to see how, like, how we went through that process. Thanks for listening to Vent Daily. I've been Kamaya. And I've been Amelia. And thanks a lot to Freddie for coming on and Kamaya for being the best guest co-host. You can find Freddie's film Seahorse at seahorsefilm.com. This episode was produced by the Vent production team. Jess Lawson, Amelia Gill, Moeen Majid and Ali Adlington. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Bar of Culture 2020. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com